Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, brought to you by Morgan Stanley. Today's Tuesday, February 9th. Bitcoin keeps going up, Super Bowl TV ratings are down, and we're focused on reopening America's schools. Three quarters of America's K-12 public schools are either closed or partially closed right now, and they've been that way for nearly a year. It's unlike anything ever before seen in our country's history, and everyone's pretty pissed off about it. Parents, kids, politicians, teachers, medical professionals, fingers pointing in every direction, heads shaking in frustration. In December, there seemed to be a glimmer of hope, really for the first time since the pandemic began, when President Biden announced that schools would reopen within his first 100 days. But as Axios has since reported, some White House advisors are becoming increasingly concerned about unforeseen challenges to that goal, including slower-than-expected vaccinations and the emergence of virus variants. And even if the White House does manage to unstick the vaccine bottlenecks and get new economic stimulus with money for things like in-school testing and HVAC updates, he still can't really mandate anything. Schools being open or closed comes down not to federal decisions, but to negotiations between local school departments and their teachers' unions. And that's why today we want to speak with Randy Weingarten, president of the American Teachers Federation, which represents more than 1.7 million members in more than 3,000 districts, about the challenges ahead, the realities of learning loss, and if we can count on in-person school next fall. That conversation in 15 seconds. We are joined now by Randy Weingarten. So, Randy, let's start here. You obviously want to get teachers back into the classrooms. We are seeing disputes in some districts, including some very large districts between the districts and the teachers union. What right now is the single biggest obstacle that is being run into to getting physical in-person schooling back? So, Dan, let me just be clear. This is not a binary choice. We know in-school learning is really important and it has to happen safely. And what the AFT is doing and we're doing is we're trying to make sure that districts all across America actually don't just say they want in-school learning, which is really important, but they do it safely. And that's what we're trying to do. That's been our, that's what we've tried to do since last April. And that is what we're trying to do right now. You know, obviously we've seen, at least particularly when it comes to K-5, not as much when it comes to high school, but when it comes to K-5 particularly, relatively little in-school transmission for schools that are either fully open or hybrid. So I wonder right now, is this really more a safety concern or a psychological fear concern? Well, I think it's both. I think that given all of the fear, I mean, given all of the misinformation that the last administration did, you have a lot of fear and we have to meet fear with facts. And one study from the CDC or one comment from the CDC director is not going to magically eliminate that fear. The good news is that there are now three or four studies from basically rural and suburban school systems that show very little transmission of COVID in K through five schools if you have the mitigation strategies intact. That's the good news. That's why we know that we can move forward with a more fully reopening schools with those strategies intact. The other good news 
is that there is a vaccine available. And just like healthcare workers, you know, have wanted the vaccine, we know that other essential employees who are essential to America need to be prioritized. And the vaccine is making people feel safer because they see the results of it. You know, Randy, I had you on. We talked uh, before a vaccine was even approved, let alone started to be distributed. And at the time, I asked you if you and the AFT would support teachers being required to be vaccinated to go back into the classrooms. At the time, you said you thought you would. Obviously, you hadn't seen the vaccine come out yet. We are where we are now. Should public school teachers be required to get the COVID-19 vaccine outside of circumstances in which they might have health reasons whereby they cannot? I think the polarization, I think, Dan, I was wrong at that moment by saying that it should be, you know, that I thought personally it should be a requirement for the following reasons. We're so polarized in this country that ultimately we need to actually prove its efficacy and show people that it works and overcome vaccine hesitancy before you can have that conversation. Personally, I want 100% of people to have the vaccine. But right now, we actually have to make it a priority. And frankly, I am glad that educators are clamoring for it. You know, you talk about disinformation, but we're talking about teachers here, right? We're not just talking about average people. We're talking about teachers, some of whom literally teach science. I mean, that's actually their job description. Shouldn't teachers be able to get the right information and the union reps get it to them? Look, I agree with you, Dan. We're trying to do that. But there is a, when you have 70 percent of people in America I'm sorry, you have 70% of Republicans in America still believe that an election that was fair and free um, was not. Then we know that there is a deep-seated misinformation campaign around the country that we have to unpack. Should we be able to? Yes. Public health officials tell us over and over again, if we can have honest, clear, direct, consistent information, then that's going to help hugely. But what you have seen in the last year is huge conspiracy theories, um, disinformation over, um, over vaccines, disinformation over COVID, masking, which we know is essential as politicized as an issue about freedom instead of public health. And so ultimately, I think we will get there with this new president but there has to be collaboration and trust and transparency and those resources and the guidance. And that is a complicated formula. We get that complicated formula when it is about, you know, launching a rocket ship. We got to get that complicated formula and we got to get the trust and collaboration when it's about reopening schools. If you're in a particular school district in which vaccines are available and have been distributed or can be distributed and teachers who wanted to get the got it, teachers who didn't want to didn't, but they had it available to them as an option. Is there a justification in those situations for a teachers union in that district to continue to oppose full in-person learning? First off, this is not about a teachers union opposing or supposing. But it is in some cases. I can just talk about, frankly, I can just talk about our locals. And what our locals in the AFT are doing is that they're trying to actually make sure that people are protected as we're going back to school. So the exercise here is about trying to get in-school learning stood up. That's what the exercise was in, that's what people tried to do in Chicago. That's what people tried to do in Boston. That's what people tried to do in New York City, in Detroit. 
And I think what you're seeing is that you're, you're seeing us trying to get the conditions um, for in-school learning. That's what we're trying to get. And this uh, attempt to create a binary choice of its children's education or teacher safety is really false, reckless, and reprehensible. Casper, you say it's false, reckless, and reprehensible. It might not be a fair binary choice, but there is a bit of a binary choice, isn't there? Completely disagree with you. It isn't a binary choice because if schools are not safe for educators, then they're not safe for communities. And so you can't actually say that those fans in, in Philadelphia were safe. And ultimately, if someone, we have a teacher, for example, who died in Washington, D.C., who tried to get an accommodation because she was at risk and she didn't get that accommodation. And ultimately, did she die because there was COVID in the school or did she die because she got COVID elsewhere? We don't know, but someone who needs an accommodation should get it. This is not a binary choice here. This is a matter of both of these things are important. In-school learning is important, but it has to be done safely in the middle of a pandemic. And so what you have here is you have some locals who are saying with the disinvestment, like in, you know, in, in infrastructure in Philadelphia, how do you actually make sure that those schools are safe? That's what we're working on. So I, when I say I reject the binary choice, it's because these are people, but pe- people have been pushing for in-school learning without having the mitigation efforts don't want to spend the bucks on it and don't want to actually make sure that everyone is protected. What we're trying to do is make sure that people are protected in the middle of a pandemic and get schools reopened for students. If teachers are indeed, or most teachers, are, are vaccinated, say, by the end of March or the beginning of April, if districts are able to have the proper PPE, proper HVAC systems, et cetera, there won't be much of a school year left in a lot of places. You know, certain districts end in, in the middle of May. Is there any appetite at the AFT or among the locals to extend the school year? Well, there's a lot of appetite for having a very robust summer program. The reason the, and, and frankly, the New York Times had a good article about this in the last couple of days. You got a lot of wealthy and middle-class folks that if they can get their kids to camp, that's what they want to do this summer. They want to make sure that their kids have some kind of enriching, fun experience. We need to do that for all kids. We need to do that for, for kids whose parents can't afford camp. And so we should have some kind of robust summer program that's about enrichment and joy. And so kids can get their mojo back. Joe Biden, as you know, back in December, talked about this plan of getting all schools reopened, physically reopened within the first hundred days of his administration. Do you believe that is a target that America is going to be able to hit? As he saw the data and the CDC reports, his target is to get the majority of K through eight schools reopened um, in the first hundred days and is the first hundred days. And I think that that is a doable goal with one caveat, which is we have no idea what's going to happen with the variant. We just don't know. It's, it's not like we can actually tell this virus what to do. This virus tells us what to do. So if we, you know, so you're, we're watching what's happening in Great Britain and Germany, you know, with a lot of concern. But if we, you know, but, but if we didn't have the variant, clearly this is a doable goal. And, you know, we're trying. And maybe this is going to then shade your answer for, for this question, which is, 
Should parents, should kids, should politicians, school boards, teachers, et cetera, should everyone assume that school is going to be open in August, September of this year, kind of as normal? There might be different procedures, but that schools will physically reopen five days a week? Look, I'm hoping so. I think if we have herd immunity from the vaccinations, we'll still probably have to be wearing masks. There'll still probably be some physical distancing, but I'm hoping I am hopeful that these vaccinations work well enough that we can create herd immunity so that we can have as normal a year next year as possible. And there's no one that's going to be happier about that than educators across the country. Final question for you. I'm curious what you think this past year has meant in terms of kind of the long term impact on public schools. Clearly, we, we've seen parochial schools, which have been losing, losing enrollment for years, for decades, have kind of been filled to the gills. Private schools, you know, report record numbers of people trying to get in from admissions, both, you know, expensive private schools and, and cheaper private schools. Are you concerned that this past year is kind of draining, that public schools are going to be having to deal with for decades to come because they're, they're simply losing students and losing families? Number one, I'm Jewish. I worry about everything. It's just part of my DNA. So at the end of the day, you know, I'm worried about what this pandemic has done to kids. I'm worried about what it's done to teachers. But what I'm not worried about is that what is clear is that people understand the importance of in-school learning now. That is critically understood now. And the, the, the connection between teachers and kids are critically understood by parents. Ultimately, next year is going to teach us a lot about the primacy of public education. And I think public education's best days are in its future because I think that people get that it's really important foundational to community. That's part of the reason that people so clamor right now to have our schools reopen because they know that in-person learning is important for kids. They know that socialization is important for kids. So ultimately, what I'm concerned about is Are we going to meet the needs of kids next year? Are we going to have the social and emotional resources? Are we going to be able to deal with um, the recovery that they need? Are teachers going to have the conditions that they need? That's what I worry about. Randy Weigarten, president of the American Teachers Federation. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome back. What we're watching today is the White House, where President Biden and Treasury Secretary Yellen will meet with a group of top U.S. business executives, including the CEOs of Walmart, J.P. Morgan, Lowe's, and The Gap. The topic on the agenda is economic stimulus, with the administration certainly hoping to get these big employers on board with its plan, maybe even with its $15 minimum wage proposal. The big picture here is that Biden is moving forward with efforts to pass the stimulus under a process called reconciliation, which means he'd only need 51 votes in the Senate rather than 60. But to use reconciliation, the bill must specifically impact the federal budget. Stimulus certainly fits the bill. And now it appears that the minimum wage piece might too. That's because Bernie Sanders recently asked the Congressional Budget Office to score the so-called Fight for 15 proposal. And CBO replied by saying it would increase the budget deficit by $54 billion over a decade. Not exactly the ringing endorsement Sanders was looking for, but it just needed to have an impact to get into reconciliation, not necessarily a positive one. And finally today, we are looking at Super Bowl TV ratings, and they are worse than Andy Reid's game plan. 
Just 96.4 million viewers watched the game on CBS, making it the lowest-rated Super Bowl since 2007 when the Colts played the Bears. One big difference between then and now, though, of course, is streaming, with CBS saying it averaged 5.7 million viewers per minute online. The streaming numbers in 2007, of course, were zero. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great national Bagels and Locks Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.